What's long, brown, and sticky? A stick. Yeah, exactly right. It's a dad joke. No one laughed. <laughs> the good dad jokes are when people groan instead of laugh. A couple of weeks ago, Nat left us in suspense, didn't he? If you were here, back in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, where I sort of left on the cliff hanging uh, with David finding himself in a rather sticky situation. Hence the bad joke. Didn't go down very well, did it? Um, but Nat was right to leave us in suspense because that's exactly what the text does. Can you remember where David was at? He'd actually run off to the Philistines uh, because that was the only place he could actually find refuge from Saul in the hands of his enemies. He knew Saul wasn't going to go into that territory to look for him. So, so fearful uh, in the end that Saul was going to get him, he runs to his enemies, to the Philistines, and says, look, I'm here, I've betrayed my people, I want, I want to find refuge with you. Let me stay with you guys. And he actually lies his way into King Achish's good books by saying, look, he... Um, he, for over a year, he goes out raiding and he tells Achish, I'm actually raiding the tribes of Israel. But he's not. He's actually raiding the enemies of Israel and leaving no one behind to tell them the truth. And he gets into Achish's good books and builds his trust. And that all worked for a while. Over a year, he actually earned his own city, his own town, because of his, uh, his uh, good nature there. But then Achish decided to raid the Israelites himself. David's own people, the people of God. And he calls David to go out and fight with him. He's one of my great warriors. He's on our side now. Let's go get him. Which one way or another is going to expose David's deceit, isn't it? And puts him in a very sticky situation. Beginning of chapter 28, where Nat left us a couple of weeks ago. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel and Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And whether there's a double meaning there, you're going to really see what I can do against Israel or against, <laughs> I'm going to turn my back and, um, against you guys. Very well, Achish said, I will make you my body life, bodyguard for life. Dun, 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 dun. What's David going to do as he goes on to the battlefield? against Israel and that's where we're left hanging on the cliff because the writer hits the pause button and turns our attention away from David and now what's happening to Saul remember the Philistines are actually going up against Israel Saul's the king of Israel how's he feeling about all this so the camera zooms onto him only to find out as we heard last week from John Saul was actually desperate afraid and in his fear and desperation, he seeks out the medium at Endor for guidance because, well, Saul's not, Samuel's not around, David's not around. The Lord, we're told, has actually turned his back on Saul and become, become his enemy. And so he goes to the land of the dead to get guidance, trying to raise a voice of Samuel for some guidance. What does he get? Well, he actually gets reminded, really, of what the Lord's word to him has already been. Your days are coming to an end. Your kingdom is coming to an end. You are not going to remain on this throne, nor your sons. In fact, tomorrow, Saul's told, you and your sons will die and Israel will fall into the hands of the Philistines. Because, goes all the way back to chapter 15, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord when he told you to get rid of the Amalekites. We read in Numbers 32, you'll know the proverb, your sin will find you out. 
That seems very much the case for Saul here, coming to the pointy end. And it seems the case for David. His deceit, whether you think what he's done is wise or foolish, ungodly or not, he's in this sticky situation and he's about to be found out. And if you keep on lying, once you start lying and if you keep on lying to cover your lies, you just dig your hole deeper and deeper, don't you? Is Saul going to meet his match and die? Well, God's told him yes. Is it going to be at the hands of David fighting for the Philistines? Is David going to be found out and his lies exposed? Well, that's all revealed in these last few chapters of 1 Samuel. We've got this week and next week to go. But as we heard in our reading this morning, the Lord does actually deliver David out of his predicament, doesn't he? Once again, this time, it's actually the Philistine lords, unknowing to them, they rescue David from his predicament. We're not having him fight with us. Not a chance. Yes, he's built the trust of Achish, but not the Philistine lords. They still think he might betray them and get stab him in the back whilst on the battlefield. So he's actually sent home. It won't be the last time the Lord uses Israel's enemies to rescue Israel or God's people. And so David ends up being relieved from the battle and he's sent back home to Ziklag, his hometown, where he's developed his own town with all the men that have come with him and their families, only to face another battle, another whole predicament that we find in chapter 30. We heard just the beginning of that in our readings. Now we might be tempted to think that the Lord's rescue of David here is evidence Proof that David actually was doing the right thing. The Lord's been good to David because David was serving the Lord here by getting rid of Israel's enemies and, and the Lord's vindicating him for it. After all, he was doing what the king of Israel should do, getting rid of the tribes from the promised land and clearing the way for Israel. Even if it was done under the guise of something else, saying, yeah, I'm actually getting rid of the tribes of Israel. But if we think God's deliverance of David here vindicates David's actions, if we think that the Lord is rescuing David because what David was doing was a good thing, then what do we make of the mercy of God and our salvation? Does Does the Lord only deliver those who are doing the right thing? Does the Lord help those who help themselves? Has the Lord saved us because we are righteous and godly? And doing the will of the Lord? He doesn't, does he? That's not how God works. It's not what God's doing here. If we think the mercy of God and our salvation come in any way as a commendation of our actions, our thoughts, our words, we totally misunderstand the grace of God. And we have got the gospel upside down. No gospel at all. If we think God only helps those who help themselves and are doing the right thing, we've not heard the message of the gospel or even of 1 Samuel at all. The deliverance of David here through the Philistine lords but by the hand of the Lord doesn't vindicate David. What it does is actually highlight the mercy of God to David. It emphasises the abounding grace of God to someone who's not righteous. David's caught in his own trap. He's got no way of getting out of this predicament that he's put himself in. And his deliverance here demonstrates in very real terms the much more, the superabounding grace of God in the face of sin and rebellion. And if we for a moment assume that the result here of David escaping this sticky situation was because the Lord showed favour to David because of his righteousness 
then what does the next chapter tell us? <laughs> because he sort of lands, he comes out of the frying pan and into the fire, really, doesn't he? Is God that inconsistent that he would rescue David one moment, giving him a pat, pat on the back saying, well done, and then, sorry, but your wives and your whole town and your families and 600 other men's wives and families are all taken away? Is God that fickle? Or is there something bigger taking place here? Take a step back for a moment, just zoom out from these chapters and consider the bigger picture. Think of all of 1 Samuel. Think of where 1 Samuel fits in the Old Testament. Think of where it fits in God's great plan of redemption. What is God doing here? Yes, he's delivering David out of this event, this sticky situation. But he's also dealing with Saul, the king of Israel at the time, who's not fit to reign as king. The Philistines have raised, raised up against Israel and Saul's about to die at their hand. We'll hear that next week. He's relieving one king, <laughs> David, to be the successor of the throne from his battle and getting rid of another one. But in all of this doing, what he's actually doing is preparing a, a throne, a kingdom, with a far greater purpose and time than just David and Saul. Zoom back a little further and God is actually establishing the kingdom of Israel so that through the line of David, one day there would be the son of David. We're going to celebrate his birth in a few weeks' time, aren't we? Jesus. So even what's happening here, as the, the plan is set really and nailed in the coffin almost for Saul now, this is the removal of Saul from the throne and David's going to take that throne, but it's not all about David. This is God preparing the way for his son to come and reign on that throne. So as we read Old Testament stories especially, it's really good to just take that step back. There's lots in the story, yes, but let's not get our morals and ethics out of just the one story and actually see what God's doing in his great plan of redemption. Because if we zoom back even further and look the other way, looking backward rather than forwards, this is God preparing the way for the offspring of Abraham. Who's to come? We're going to hear about that as we go through the early chapters of Matthew through Advent. This goes even further back to the promised seed of Genesis 3 where God said there would be one, the seed of the woman who will come and crush the head of the serpent. And here is God through all of one Samuel preparing the way for that seed through Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, all the way through to the king of the Jews the one born king of the Jews, his own son. This is God fulfilling his promises to his people through generations. Yes, David's in a sticky situation here. Yes, the Lord delivers him. But if we think that is what God is for, that that is what God does, that he's some divine handyman or Houdini or MacGyver who can just fix up our tricky situations for us, then we've got it all wrong. So wrong. You and I and David here too, we're not simply caught in some sticky situations of life, are we? Like, yes, we have our ups and downs, we have our trials and we suffer, and we might want help from God. And God gives us that help quite often. Sometimes we won't be rescued completely, though, will we? Rather than helping us out of the situation, he'll help us in it and strengthen us and encourage us to keep on in faith and hope and love. Because God's actually not about just helping us out of a fix every now and then, is he? 
He's got a far greater plan. He's bigger than that. He's more interested and invested in a plan of redemption, not to save us from our sticky situations, but to save us from our sin. From death. And when Christ the King comes, he wants us to know the power of his gospel, the power of his blood shed for us. Not to help us get out of a few trials and sticky situations, but to actually remove our guilt from us. He wants us to know the power of a cleansed conscience. To know what it is to live in the freedom of no guilt, no condemnation and no shame before the Lord. He delivers us not just from a sticky situation, but from the whole kingdom of darkness and from Satan himself and even from his own wrath by giving up his own son. And then he adopts us into his own family, calls us his own and secures us in his kingdom, a kingdom of love. Do you know what the Apostle Paul calls our sticky situations and our trials and troubles in life? He calls them these light and momentary afflictions. Context, perspective, an eternal one. They're not the main problem we face in this life. And I think in today's world and in the church as much as in the world, we have taken up the victim culture. We have turned God into a therapeutic God who will just come and help us when we need some help. We can rub the lamp, the genie will come out. And... Now God does help us, doesn't he? He's the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Come to summer camp and hear all about Second Corinthians. The God of all comfort. But the greatest comfort we, can, greatest comfort we have is Christ and knowing that our hope is secure in him and the promise of eternal life, that our sins have been dealt with. Yes, God may help us in our sticky situations. He may remove us from them at times. He may help us in them and through them and strengthen us, as we'll hear in a moment. But in all of that, they're not the main problem. In fact, Paul says these light and momentary afflictions are doing what? They're actually preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And I think many of us have lost that perspective. Sin is the great problem in the world, in the Bible, in your life and mine. It's my greatest problem. It's your greatest problem. But God's dealt with it. I still remember reading of one pastor, theologian, it may have been John Stott or James Packer, um, he said in all his life of ministry, he had more people come to him with their problems than he did with their sin. Want their problems fixed. Not so concerned about having their sin dealt with. We've got it so wrong. God has dealt with a great problem of sin in his son, Jesus Christ. He hasn't just given us these Old Testament stories to say, hey, God saved David out of this situation. If I call on him and pray the right way, he'll do the same for me. He might. He does for David and he has for you, I'm sure. 
But as we've been hearing, and I hope without apology, time and time again in this series, the Lord is our salvation. And we need to hear it time and time again, lest we forget it. The Lord is our salvation. The title I gave this series when we started comes out of Hannah's song back in chapter 2. The title is No Rock Like Our God. Hannah prays after the Lord's heard her prayer and given her Samuel. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn or my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. Why? Because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And we can stand firm on that solid rock. And when the wind and the waves come, the house the Lord has built for us will not be shaken. If we're standing on anything else, what happens? We get tossed to and fro and the house comes crumbling down. But we've been transferred into an unshakable kingdom. God does help us in our daily lives. We're going to look at that in a moment. And seemingly trivial things as well as really big significant things. Sometimes he helps amazingly, miraculously. Other times simply through other people helping and practically and sometimes that's just amazing too, isn't it? To see the joy of love and service from other people helping us. But I wonder in the church today how often we might pray, God, give us today our daily bread or something like that, Lord, help me today. But we forget to pray, Father, forgive us for our sins. There's a good reason Jesus taught his disciples to pray that way. Even if some of our state MPs don't want to anymore. It's a good thing that we do. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The great news of the gospel of God is that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he is able and he has forgiven our sins. That's the greatest protection and provision we'll ever receive from the Lord. Back to David and his sticky situation. The Philistine laws have said, we don't want him here. He always begs with Achish, come on, what have I done? I want to go out and battle with you. We don't know his intentions. But he says, no, you're going to have to go home. He's rescued from that situation, only to head home to find his whole town burned to the ground. His wives, his children, all the other men with him, their wives, their children, everything's gone, all their animals taken away. And to add to all of that, we only had a few verses read for us, but we did get to the point where some of these own men of David who have been with him all this time, they're now blaming him for their loss and they're speaking of stoning him. They've been bitter from the beginning. Back in chapter, what was it, 22... These men who came to David while he's uh, finding refuge in a cave. David departed from one place and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And now guess what? They're ready to stone David because they were bitter in soul. <laughs> Nothing's changed. They're just looking for someone else to blame the whole way along. And now it's David. 
But what we learn is David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 6 of chapter 30. David strengthened himself or David was strengthened in the Lord his God. I've got in my notes here because as I was writing this up, I was going to say despite all that distress and grief in David's own life, he strengthened himself in the Lord. But it's not despite that. It's actually in the midst of his distress, in the midst of his fear. He's strengthened by the Lord his God. What does it mean for David to be strengthened by God? Having just said what I've said about all the sticky situations and God's more interested in saving us from our sin than from that, it doesn't mean God's not interested in our sticky situations. We can find strength in God for those times. So what does it mean for us to do that? to be strengthened by the Lord, our God. I don't think it means plucking up some more courage, picking ourselves up by the bootstraps and saying, come on, we can do this. Let's get on with it. Sometimes we need determination, don't we? We need a bit of courage. But I don't think it's that, nor is it a quick prayer and a sort of paracetamol of gospel magic just to help us through for the day. Nor is it venting our grief and anger. You don't hear David sort of wiping out half the men here who are angry with him and bitter. We are told to lament. We can take our griefs to the Lord, but that's different than venting. And it's definitely not the same as strengthening ourselves in the Lord. So if it's not those things, what is it? The first thing I want us to note here is that it's personal. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. The writer could have said, in the Lord, the God of Israel. He could have said, in the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But he didn't. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. This is personal. David knows the Lord. The Lord knows David and David knows that. This is not just some distant theoretical cognitive knowledge of God or about God. David knows God personally and intimately and he knows the Lord knows him so it's not just a nice warm fuzzy David gets from his God he needs strength he needs courage and wisdom to know what to do he needs something concrete something sure and certain to be able to move on and to be strengthened and he is so what is David what is it David receives in this personal act of God I think it's the word of God together with the character of God. David is strengthened here by the promises and character of God. If you can see your Bibles in the dark, flick back to chapter 23 of Samuel, 1 Samuel, verse 16. We hear there where Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. And in verse 16, this is what we read. Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. How did he do it? He said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. So there, David is strengthened, not just by his companionship with Jonathan and someone to have allegiance with, someone who's going to fight for him and look out for him. 
He's actually strengthened because Jonathan has reminded him of the covenant God has made with him. You are going to be king of Israel. It's the word of God and the promise of God that strengthens David. And he needed someone to remind him. We need one another, don't we? To encourage one another. You meet together as long as it's called today. To encourage one another in the word of God. That's how David strengthened. And I think it's the same here as he calls upon Abbey Arthur the priest to find wisdom and the will of God to be guided there. God is always faithful to his word. And so when we need to be strengthened, we should look to his word to find our strength because that's the one sure thing we can count on. It always succeeds what God has promised. So David's strengthened in his personal relationship with God and in the promises of God. And then I want to add another P just to help you remember it. He's strengthened by the presence of God. On this occasion, through the ministry of Abiathar the priest, the only one, remember, who escaped when Saul killed all the priests back in the town of Nob. David calls for Abiathar to inquire of the Lord to seek his will. And Abiathar the priest, with the ephod, inquires for the Lord, shall I pursue after this band, inquires for David to the Lord, shall I overtake them? And the Lord answers, yes, pursue. You will overtake them. You shall surely rescue your people. David strengthened in the Lord his God personally, by the promise of God and with the presence of God. And so when you need to be strengthened by the Lord, do you know those three Ps? That God is your God, he's personal, that he's made promises to you, and that he's with you, he's promised that. If you don't know these things, I want to encourage you this morning, you can know them. Because that's exactly what God wants to do. He's spoken his word to us by his son. He said, trust in me and I'll give you my spirit and I'll dwell with you. I'll be with you, my presence. He's given us his promise, which are all, as Kadebi said, yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We too can be strengthened in the Lord, our God. And it doesn't mean all our situations will be fixed. Sometimes David's are, sometimes they're not. He's got a whole lifetime ahead. He's going to be in sticky situations. But we've actually got one up on David too. We may not have an Abbey Arthur, a priest, to speak to God on our behalf, but we've got something better. We've got someone better. We have Jesus Christ, the great high priest, through whom we actually have access to the Father. We can go to the throne of grace with confidence to find what? Mercy and grace and help in our time of need. We might not receive direct instruction. Yes, go pursue this band, take this job, marry that person. He's given us, he's revealed his will to us for life and we can trust in that. Sometimes the dark valleys are longer than we wish they are, don't we? Longer than we want them to be. But even there he is with us. And his rod and his staff comfort us. And we have the promise of glory when there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more mourning. And the deep valleys will be gone forever.
and we can ask him, we can pray for the assurance, for the perseverance and the strength to carry on. And even as Paul prays in Colossians, I think I've said this before, when Paul prays for the Colossian believers there, he prays that they would be strengthened and with endurance to persevere with joy. We can even ask the Lord to give us some moments of joy as we walk through the dark valleys. And he gives them to us. And I think what David does here, the writer has put, and the reason he interrupted what was happening and left us with a cliffhanger in chapter 7 to look at what Saul does. And then we find here, where does David go in his distress and his fear? He goes to the Lord. Where did Saul go last week? He went to the place of the dead. Whereas Saul, uh, David goes to the Lord of the living and the dead. Now there's far more we could look at in chapter 30, but in short... David finds out who's raided his town, finds an Egyptian on the side of the road who's been left for dead by them, points them out to him and says, go there, and David gets total victory. Everything is returned. And the writer makes a point of saying nothing was missing. Everything was returned back to him. Everything they found. It's total victory, complete restoration, and then some because they actually get all the plunder and spoil. And then we read this in verse 21. David came to the 200 men. He had 600 with him, but he left 200 behind. They were too exhausted to follow them. They'd been left at the brook. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they didn't go with us, we won't give them any of the spoil that we've rescued, recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. Saul had some wicked and worthless men in his early days, didn't he? Remember? Who are those that, can this man save us? They said. David's got his own wicked and worthless men to deal with here. How does he respond? David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. It's not you that's got all this spoil and recovered everything. God has done that. He has preserved us. He has given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Saul showed mercy when the Lord gave them victory because some men said, we should knock off those fellows who said, how can this man save us? And Saul said, no, the Lord's given us salvation this day. One of his better moments. And now here's David saying, no, no, not just have mercy. I'm actually going to show them grace. That's what I think is happening here. David recognises, proclaims the Lord is the one who has rescued them and recovered all their family, all their livestock and given them more. And David is more than willing to share the spoils, not just with those who went to fight with him, but those who stayed by the baggage. He's not going to let anyone miss out on his watch. And more than that, these men who are arguing and saying, don't give any to these guys, they're the same men who only a chapter ago were saying, they were so bitter, remember, they wanted to stone David. And that's forgotten by David. David's mercy extends beyond those who were just too exhausted and had to stay by the baggage. 
by the water. He actually shows mercy to those who were bitter towards him and wanted to kill him, his own men. And more than mercy, he showers them with grace, rescues their families and provides for them richly with the help of God. This is more than just an episode of the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We've sung it, haven't we? It's more than that. This is David, I think, acting in the very way the Lord deals with us. This is David acting as king, a man after God's own heart, expressing God's own heart in the way God deals with us. In our bitterness towards God. In our desire to change God, crucify him, tell him I want it my way, not your way. We who were once enemies, weak and helpless, enemies of God, abounding in sin, bitterness. What does God do? Sends his own son in his love for us, showering us with mercy and abounding grace, more abounding than our sin, praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and cancelling any debt that we owe, removing it from us as far as east is from the west. And more than that, not just showing mercy and grace, he actually gives us the spoils of his victory. Christ's righteous life that he lived, credited to us. Christ's victory over death on the cross, we get to enjoy. The glory that Christ enters into at the Father's right hand, he welcomes us into that glory. We get the spoils of Christ's victory. He who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? As our musicians come up, let me read again from Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer at the beginning of 1 Samuel beginning of it is this my heart exalts in the lord my horn is exalted in the lord my mouth derides my enemies because i rejoice in your salvation there is none holy like the lord for there is none besides you there is no rock like our god at the end the adversaries of the lord shall be broken to pieces Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That's what the Lord's doing here for David. It's being fulfilled in David here. And it's actually what he's done for us in Christ. He strengthened us in Christ. He's delivered us. And like Hannah who gave her own son to the Lord, knowing she could never repay the Lord for his favour to her. We too are forever in debt, aren't we, to the Lord? And we've been called, do you know Romans 12? To offer our bodies as living sacrifices in worship to the Lord by the mercies of God. Not because we can make up for what we've done wrong, not because we can gain God's approval, but because we are forever in debt 
to his mercy alone. And so our prayer this morning is this song we're going to sing, A Debtor to Mercy Alone.